This is the City Voice podcast, where we explore the issues that impact Washington cities. I'm Sarah Manier, and today I'll be reading three stories from the most recent issue of City Vision magazine. First up is the ethics of expertise, a story about providing leadership when you're not in a leadership position. What do you do when the policymakers are headed in the direction of a decision you feel would be a serious mistake? That's when your work needs more than your expertise. It needs your leadership, even if you're not in a leadership position. Push past the barriers. Of course, Stepping forward can create an awkward, even scary situation because it amounts to a role reversal and you might be accused of insubordination. And it's all too common that before you even get to start in on a problem, you're told not to bother because it'd be a waste of time. Don't let such misgivings dissuade you. In these situations, providing leadership is the most responsible thing you can do. Your ability to provide leadership will be essential precisely when it's the most difficult, unpopular, and possibly personally detrimental to you. It'll require you to stick out your neck and speak up when there's pressure not to do so from colleagues, superiors, appointed, and elected officials, and even the public. But the pressure to keep quiet won't be just external. You'll likely weigh the risk of publicly raising your concerns against your personal needs and goals. You'll be tempted to chalk up your reservations to a lack of political savvy and reflexively think, I just work here. Yet, when the stakes are the highest, that's when the public you serve needs your leadership the most. Understand differing roles. Setting aside the discomfort of going against conventions, past practices, and overt pressure, You'll need to shift roles to diplomatically provide leadership to policymakers. But you can't simply shift their point of view without first deepening your understanding of theirs. Even though both you, the subject matter expert, and policymakers are responsible for your organization's mission, your roles in fulfilling that mission are quite different. Policymakers might appear powerful as they give or deny your team the green light to work on a proposal, project, or policy, and they have the last say on whether to implement and fund your team's final recommendation. But in reality, their decision-making is surprisingly limited. Moreover, they are under tremendous pressure to be responsive to the demands of their constituents and the public at large albeit frequently to the frustration of technical experts. It's these differing roles that actually allow you, a subject matter expert, to provide leadership to the policymakers. Rather than interpreting their responsiveness to political pressures as a sign of defeat or a lack of commitment to the mission, you need to understand it for what it is, a very different set of responsibilities from yours. You can use this difference as a way to provide leadership to them even when they are making policy-level decisions. Like you, policymakers are steeped in the pressures and constraints of their current role. Even if they have a technical background and were at one time in an advisory role as you are now, they must weigh the benefits of endorsing work that will come at a steep political cost. 
but that doesn't mean they won't follow your lead if you are willing to take it. Avoiding unnecessary controversy and conflict among stakeholders is central to the role of policymakers. They are beholden to the public and asking them to endorse an effort that will make them a political target without a compelling reason is putting them into an untenable position. But there is a way for you to provide leadership that lends them cover from political attack, appeal to higher authority. So how do you provide leadership when you're not in a position to? You do it by unapologetically declaring your adherence to your profession's ethics and by earning policymakers' respect that in your role, it would be irresponsible for you to bend to political pressure. Let's look at an instance you might encounter that compels technical experts to lead policymakers. If you identify an area of work as being high priority, but are met with resistance from policymakers who contend it would cause too much political turmoil, is a third rail, or would be an exercise in futility, you need to provide leadership on why, in spite of the controversies or a history of failed efforts, it would be irresponsible for you not to work on that issue before any other. You'll need to help your superiors, both within the organization and political figures outside of it. Conclude that given the professional code of ethics you abide by, you must work on those items that are most central to your mission, even the seemingly impossible. You have to help policymakers understand why you cannot exclude any item from your analysis, no matter how unpopular, controversial, or politically unworkable. Well-elected and appointed officials are answerable to a disharmonious public with diametrically opposing views and needs. You, as a technical expert, must be held to your professional ethos above all else. While policymakers are reminded of the differences in your roles and they understand the basic tenets of your professional ethics, your adherence to them, and your dedication to your organization's mission, they are likely to appreciate your willingness to speak up and provide leadership to them. There's no guarantee they'll agree with your perspective on how to proceed, but there's no question. You'll have provided leadership when it was needed most. Our second story is Meet Right and Proper, an article that will help you assess how you present yourself in those numerous online appointments. It has been well over a year since the pandemic disrupted normal life. By now, you probably have the basics of online meetings covered. You know how to join a meeting, how to give yourself a virtual background, and how to quickly mute yourself when your neighbor's dog starts howling. So now is a good time to take a closer look at how you are presenting yourself digitally to your colleagues and constituents. Self-presentation matters after all. One way to seriously step up your game is with an online meeting audit. Start by scheduling a meeting with a friend or coworker over Zoom, Microsoft Teams, or whatever online meeting platform you use most often. Use the questions below as an outline for assessing one another and be candid. The only way to improve is if you help each other identify the areas where you can get better. How is your lighting? It's easy for things to go wrong here. Your room may look too dark or the subject, that's you, might be washed out by a bright window light. Try using lamps, overhead lights, and window shades to fix any issues. Front-facing light tends to work well. And watch out for backlighting. If there's a major source of light behind you, such as a large window, it's likely to make your image too dark. 
consider buying a ring light or other video lighting to give yourself more control. Is the angle right? Is your webcam too low? Does it look like you're facing away from the meeting? Are you too far away? The most comfortable position isn't always the most flattering. Start by positioning your camera square in front of you at eye level and try different configurations until you find something that you are happy with. What's going on back there? Your background, whether it's virtual background or just the room you're working from, should keep the distractions to a minimum. Make sure there's nothing on your screen that you wouldn't want the public to see. Can you hear me now? Whether you're using a headset or your computer's built-in speakers and microphone, make sure that your voice is clear and distracting noises are minimized. Be sure to silence your computer's notifications and silence your cell phone. Are we connecting? You may not be able to guarantee a stable internet connection, but there are a few things you can do to help yourself out. A hardwired connection is better than Wi-Fi, so if possible, plug your computer directly into your router. Failing that, make sure that you are in an area of your home or office that gets a strong signal. Online meetings are likely here to stay, in some form. That's why it's worth working on how you present yourself even if you are starting to have in-person meetings again. Our final story for this episode is called Moving Mountains. This story provides practical tips for smaller communities tackling outsized needs. How does a small but growing city make necessary improvements to a police station without costs getting out of control? By focusing on opportunities for efficiency, the city of Granite Falls was able to create a new police station that is functional, under budget, and in keeping with the city's architectural style. Like many small cities statewide, Granite Falls provides public safety and central services with a limited budget and constrained resources. For many years, the city operated its police station out of an old building, which was formerly a video parlor and a dentist's office. The structure was decaying, and the interior layout was not ideal, safe, or functional for the public or for law enforcement. And like many western Washington cities, Granite Falls is growing, with an estimated 2021 population of 4,650, up 40% since 2016, and a 2035 population projection of 8,800. In the past, the city operated its police department independently, but in 2013, due to budget constraints, city leaders chose to contract their law enforcement services to the Snohomish County Sheriff. The decision resulted in a significant reduction in costs and an improvement in public safety for the growing population. Unfortunately, the dilapidated police station building was becoming increasingly inadequate to support the needs of a regional substation for the sheriff's office, so Granite Falls decided to renovate the current building. The initial estimated cost to completely remodel the building was $1.3 million, which was well above the city's financial ability to fund, so the city council settled on a budget of $500,000 to renovate the front 35% of the building which addressed the most significant safety and layout issues. In 2019, the city was awarded $400,000 from the state's capital budget for the partial renovation and budgeted an additional $100,000 from a general fund to cover the cost. After selecting an architectural firm to create a suitable design layout, Granite Falls advertised for the renovation. 
the lowest bid the city received was $750,000. Combined with the architectural fees, the total costs would have been $825,000 to renovate only one-third of the space, less than 1,000 square feet of the aging building. With the renovation proposal coming in much higher than expected and understanding that the city may incur additional costs during the construction process due to unforeseeable issues within the structure and its foundation, staff looked for cost-effective alternatives and learned some valuable lessons. Lesson 1. Modular saves money. Staff noticed other cities having success using non-traditional modular structures. So they reached out to several companies specializing in custom modular buildings and found that they offered a comparable quality product for a third of the cost of traditional construction. After sharing the design work and specifications the architect had completed for the original renovation project, the city selected a reputable modular manufacturing company. The estimated cost to demolish the old building and replace it with a new 2,400-square-foot structure, including state-of-the-art, bulletproof glass, and security measures throughout, was only $670,000. Lesson number two, simplify the process when feasible. In February 2020, the City Council approved the project and submitted a purchase order through the King County Directors Association, or the KCDA to construct the new police station with a target completion of September 2020. Routing the project through the KCDA contract saved staff time and consultant costs typically associated with going out to bid for traditional construction, as well as potential audit issues in the future, something that is often a struggle for small cities. Lesson 3. Communicate often and compromise when necessary. Unfortunately, due to the pandemic, the construction and installation of the conjoined modular structures were significantly delayed. Indeed, the project could have cost the manufacturer and the city considerably more than the original proposal due to the impacts of plant closures and inclement weather conditions anticipated due to the construction delay. Construction delays typically mean increased costs for overhead, materials, labor, and fees. To mitigate the potential increases, the city quickly established routine weekly virtual meetings with the general contractor, manufacturer, and subcontractors. During these meetings, the group shared potential impacts due to the pandemic and discussed how the team might support each other to overcome barriers and create efficiencies. For example, both the civil and general contractors coordinated efforts to work together cohesively to grade the lot, engineer proper drainage, construct the foundation, and install an emergency sump due to the seasonally impacted high water table. This cooperation and coordination reduced potential change orders typically caused by cost delays and limited possible redundancies of effort. And lesson four, identify cost savings throughout surplus purchasing when possible. To further manage costs and stay within budget, the city purchased used furniture and equipment through University of Washington surplus inventory and local sellers vacating office spaces as employees transition to working from home. The city manager and the police chief were able to fulfill their list of desired furniture and supplies at a fraction of the cost of comparable new items using this method.
The estimate for new furniture and equipment was $30,000. With the county support, the city secured almost new furniture and equipment for the new building for under $2,000. And that concludes this week's episode. Thank you for listening. The AWC City Voice podcast is a production of AWC, where our mission is to serve our members through advocacy, education, and services. 